Hello everybody and welcome to Cana Rinse Sound of Play.
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in our first Sound of Play of 2017. Actually, no, that's not true, is it? Our second Sound of Play of 2017 uh, is Andy Corrigan. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hi, Leon. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for uh, offering up. Uh, Listeners may be aware that uh, some months ago now I put a shout out to uh, people who were uh, listeners of of Sound of Play, people who wanted to come on and share their tracks. Uh, And you put yourself forward at that point, as did a number of other people. And uh, it's high time I started catching up with uh, with all these uh, all these folks who want to share their uh, their tastes with us. So uh, with that in mind, Andy, uh, you open the show there with a track from uh, now, I'm never sure about the pronunciation. Is it Danganronpa or Dang, Danganronpa? Or... Yeah, I've, I've always just gone with Danganronpa. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Okay, so Trigger Happy Trigger trigger Happy Havoc. Uh, so this is a game that's been out across a load of formats over the last sort of five or six years. Uh, and uh, sadly, I have yet to uh, yet to enjoy the world of Danganronpa. But uh, that's a cool track. So um, you a fan of the game, just a fan of the soundtrack or a bit of everything? Yeah, a bit of everything, really. So um, in the lead up to the release, a lot of people were saying to me, if because I love Persona 4, then I should check out Danganronpa when it hits the Vita. Right. Yeah. Um, and what they really should have been saying was, if you've got an interest in Phoenix Wright, you should probably check out Danganronpa. Oh, okay. Right. So, I've 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 got the wrong end of the stick then about it because for some reason, like, I, yeah, I haven't done due diligence on on this series. Uh, I, I'm very aware of it, uh, and I, I didn't really become aware of it until the Vita incarnation. But it has been knocking around on PSP and iOS and Android and other things for a long time. But maybe they didn't get localized. Um, I'm not not entirely sure, but I assumed it was more sort of classic JRPGs. But so it's more what is it? It's not a courtroom drama, presumably, but uh, it's it's a bit of a courtroom drama. So is it okay? Yeah, so it's a it's a bit of a visual oh. novel, um, right? Right. And basically, you play a guy called Makoto who he he goes to this school called Hope's Peak, which is like the ultimate of every possible like genre you can think of gets to, okay. gets yeah. invited to the school so you've got things like the ultimate fan fiction writer uh that sort of thing and the main character is the uh-huh. ultimate lucky student because he won a lottery to get a place at the school i see uh, and he gets there and something's not right and then he gets knocked out by some gas or something i forget the the full storyline there um, yeah. and he, when he wakes up him and all the other students have been locked in and they've been told right. that to graduate, they have to commit a murder and get away with it. Huh. Uh, so the there's this antagonist who's a bear called uh, Monokuma, and he's, yes. he's he's sort of the provider of motives for the killing. Right. Uh, so after they've uh, they've all said they're not going to kill anyone, uh, the first murder takes place, and then like in the Phoenix Wright games, you get like a yeah. a spell to investigate the crime scene. And once you've I got see. all the the clues, you go to like a class trial, which is where the the song that I picked comes from. Okay, and that that's a little chancy number that kicks in whenever the uh, conversation gets heated. Um, so right. and, and although you're just sort of reading text, it sort of makes it feel like like there's a, a good pace and there's an urgency to it. 
Uh, sure. Pretty cool. In in a Phoenix Wright styley. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I've, I've got to admit, I was I was completely in the dark about uh, the nature of these games. It sounds it sounds interesting, and and as you say, it sounds like there are there are elements of Persona and and Phoenix Wright, and possibly some other cool stuff. Maybe the 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 virtue, uh, you know, the virtues, last reward, and the the nine nine nine, those type of games. Yeah, it's the same developer. Uh, so. no. Yeah, all right, Spike Chunsoft, yeah, okay. Yeah. And the music uh, there we heard from is uh, Masafumi Takada. Uh, is he the is he the one and only composer on on the game or is it uh, is it a, a uh, combined is, yeah. effort? I actually uh, bought bought the album. It's uh, nice. available on iTunes, I think. So Excellent, excellent. Yes, one of the things we're going to do in Sound of Play this year, uh, for this is for listeners, um, we're going to start uh, trying to include some video game music news as well, including news of releases and concerts and things like that. So look out for that in future shows. Uh, now, before we hear from our uh, next uh, request, which is from the forum, uh, Andy, the uh, I didn't wasn't aware there was such a huge uh, time zone difference between West Yorkshire and East Sussex. <laughs> yes, uh, I guess my my Skype profile still says West Yorkshire, does it? It does, yeah, <laughs> yes. So you're 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 a Bradford man, yeah. uh, is that right? Okay, yes, and uh, but you're you're based in Australia. Yes, I uh, emigrated and, and got married to an Australian lady. So I've been, okay. here, been here for about six years now. Oh, very nice too. And uh, and how's the weather? <laughs> uh, been pretty warm, really. <laughs> so, um, yeah, they... I just I just wanted to hear it. I just wanted to feel bad. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's hideous here. <laughs> All right. Uh, first up from the forum, this is a request from Mauricio MM. Still don't know what the MM stands for. Uh, and it comes from StarCraft II Legacy of the Void from 2015. Uh, Mauricio says, I really like the Protoss and everything related to them, including the amazing music composed in both StarCraft I and II for this race. And even so, I was happily surprised by the marvellous work done this time for the Legacy of the Void soundtrack. They really captured the struggles and the victories of this proud extraterrestrial race, and it makes the story feel even more epic. Overused word, I know, but I think it fits in this case. A good example of this is the glorious war anthem called The Golden Armada.
that was the Golden Armada by, well, it's uh, it's the usual case with these Blizzard games, uh, multiple composers named, uh, but no specification as to which tracks. So Jason Hayes, Mike Patty, Neil uh, Acree, Glenn Stafford. Uh, and yes, although we haven't covered the Legacy of the Void portion of StarCraft 2 uh, way back in Kane and Rint's podcast, Issue 71, we did uh, StarCraft Two: Wings of Liberty. Uh, regular listeners will know, most of you will know, that Cane and Rinse is our other podcast where we talk about games and we do deep dives, almost academic to an extent. Uh, we talk about our own experiences. Uh, well after the hype has died down and uh, we now have a back catalogue of over 250 of those podcasts for you to dive into. So enjoy those. Now we're back with our guest, Andy Corrigan. Now, Andy, I know that uh, as well as being a punter, a listener of uh, Sound of Play, Cane and Rinse, I assume as well sometimes, maybe not every show, that's okay, I don't know. Um, you are also something of a journo, uh, a games industry type bod. Yeah, I'm uh, an occasional freelancer at the moment. So uh, most of my stuff's going to IGN Australia at the moment. Um, See, that's a pretty big deal, I'd say. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I don't do it as often as I'd like with uh, the real job taking up much of my time. But uh, yeah. oh, okay, you, you, that's not your full time no. employee then. S- sadly not. No. Um, no. Okay. So yeah. Um, so at the moment, I'm currently working on a Final Fantasy series for IGN. Right. Okay. So this ties in with some of your picks today. So this is a Certainly is does. this a long standing passion of yours? Final Fantasy games. Um. Well, actually, I um. When the hype was ramping up for Final Fantasy fifteen last year, yeah, um, I, I I was thinking back on on the games I've played from the series, um, and I'd finished surprisingly few of them. Yes, yeah, uh, and I'd never <laughs> played any of the older ones. So, I, right, and I, I've always considered myself a Final Fantasy fan. Yeah. So I thought it's probably time to put that right. And um, this uh, is this is very this is tying in with what we're going to be doing later this year on on Kane and Rince. Yeah. Awesome. So what so what's your what's your modus operandi? How how are you going about this? So basically, I'm playing each game and writing about it at the time. Okay. So fabulous. I've got uh, one to three done. Oh, just wow, just okay. about to embark on four for the first time. Well, we might give you a call later this year if we need more panellists, because uh, we are covering, we are, we are starting with, because we've been talking about this for five years, how do we cover the Final Fantasy series? And some people, you know, some people amongst the team, we, we, we have long, lengthy, sometimes mildly heated debates about how we cover various game series, because we can only do 50 shows a year and so on and so forth. So... Um, but the, it came really down that most of us weren't happy with the idea that we would say just do Final Fantasy VII and then do Final Fantasy X and then do maybe go back to six or something like that. So we decided to bite the bullet and do what what you've done. And we're going to start with uh, in way later in the year. This is right towards the end of 2017 in issue 297. We are going to do Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy II. Um, so the way I'm going to be playing this is the GBA uh, compilation of one and two, Dawn of Souls. Um, and I understand that two is a bit of a um, can be a bit of a, a stumbling block, a hurdle for many. So did did you find it okay to get through these first two games in the series? Yep. So the the first one um, is basically just the blueprint for everything yep. else to come, like bare bones. Yeah. Um, you can brute force your way through most of it as long as you put the time into grinding. 
Um, yeah. Now, I had a lot of fun with the second one. Uh, okay, good. And I, I know That's everyone, very encouraging. <laughs> I know everyone gets a bit down on it, but there's um, you just got to learn to play the systems in your favour, which much of it means having your own team beating the crap out of each other. Okay, um, wow. Yeah. Right. It, it's, the way it works is uh, if you want to get better at using a sword, then you give a character a sword and use it. If you want them to get better defence, then you allow them to be hit. And the best okay. way to control that is to be hit by your own people. Interestingly, even though this is a game from the late 1980s, that sounds in a way like some of the systems that some of the modern Western RPGs take up, which is where, yeah, you do stuff over and over again and you get better at it, essentially, which is is actually kind of an idea that seems to have, yeah, resurfaced in popularity rather than simply just use the character over over and over and over again and get XP. It sounds a bit more involved than that. Yeah, when I when I first realised what it was doing, it was I, I instantly thought of Oblivion. Yeah, because that was totally. you know jump, 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 jump. Oh, you've you've improved in athletics, or you know exactly that. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah, I'm really curious now. Um, and th- these are exactly the sort of conversations that we'll hopefully have on the podcast. But yes, uh, expect uh, once uh, once the Kane Rince crew starts to get in get into playing these uh, early Final Fantasies, expect multiple tweets from us going, Andy, what do we do now? <laughs> How do happy, we get past this bit? Happy to help. Yeah. Fantastic, and it, yeah, if we can make it work, it'd be great to have you on on uh, on, on that show maybe later in the year. Um, there's no, I should say to to listeners, there's no um, concrete plans to continue with the series at this point. But if we do, if we get through one and two, and the enthusiasm is still there, we may continue um, in the future. But it wouldn't necessarily be like a one a month deal. It might be a once every you know once every however often deal. But um, you know, it's a, it's it's as much as anything, it shows that we're not planning on going anywhere. We're we're trying Trucking on through, uh, I reckon at the uh, at the current rate we should have got to Final Fantasy fifteen by the time I'm about seventy. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how I cope with playing as a uh, as a boy band uh, when I'm you know past retirement age. <laughs> see. <laughs> Anyway, but uh, you've brought us this wonderful piece uh, that I'm sure many will be familiar with from probably the the most played, one of the most played instalments in the series. So uh, does, this still have, does this still have feelings for you? Does this bring you the feels? Yeah, it certainly does. Um, Final Fantasy VII was my first JRPG, as it was for many people. Yeah. Um, and this particular piece, I think, is, although it's basic, I think it's Uematsu's best work. Right. Um, he's I, the the way it plays. I think he's understood the character brilliantly. Um, mm. And it's and in hindsight of knowing what happens, it's a bit of a, a sorrow sorrowful piece. Um, but at the end, it sort of picks up with this like defiant hook, uh, oh, like yeah. a bit of hope just just before it it goes soft again. But yeah, uh, I really love this one. Here we go. It's Aerith's theme, or Aerith, if you know her as such, from uh, Uematsu and uh, Final Fantasy VII.
Yep, it's still got it. I think uh, it takes me back nearly 20 years now to the, I guess it was about November 97 when I was playing Final Fantasy VII for the first time with my girlfriend at the time. And uh, yeah, we, you know, it's such a cliche about, you know, getting emotional at a game for the first time and, and so on and so forth. But it genuinely was a choker when Eris died. I mean, it really is such a, it's just been said and written so many times about that scene. But um but yeah, it, it really was uh, surprising, especially, you know, we, we'd managed to avoid spoilers at that point because, you know, you, you, we were still dealing in monthly magazines um, and such a thing wouldn't have necessarily been revealed anyway. Uh, so before the internet, it was like we'd had Eris in our party for how many hours it, it is until you get to that scene. Um, is it the, at the end of the first disc, I think, isn't it? Um and yeah, so you you are just you know you're not expecting one of your the characters you've been uh, you've spent all this time with, got to know, built a relationship with, and built up in terms of XP and you know all that learned all their magic and spells to have them uh, to have them removed was yeah genuine a twist as well and a twist of the knife as well. Yeah, I mean like she's the key healer as well, so it's a a bit of a like a mechanical yeah. shock as well how you have to reel and. And try and give that job to someone else. And... That's very true. Yeah, yeah. I can't even remember what we did with that. Um, yeah, and obviously that that game. Uh, I'm I'm not a, a massive expert on Final Fantasy. I'd like to be more, and would be at the end of our <laughs> our thirty year series to cover the games. But um, yeah, I, I remember we had gone out of our way, or we did eventually go out of our way to get the extra characters in the party, uh, Vincent and uh, Yuffie. Um, but I can't. Who who is it? Yeah, because Tifa's more of a fighting character. So who does become the healer? Red Thirteen? No, I don't know. Um, my memory's a bit sketchy, but I'll uh, I'll probably be, be back soon. I'll be able to tell you in a, maybe a year's time. So <laughs> yeah, sure. So did you play uh, Final Fantasy three? Which version of that did you play? The PC or DS? Or I, I played it on uh, Vita, which was the same as the DS version. Uh, okay, yeah, right. So it's uh, a remade with three D graphics and, and all yes, that. yeah, yeah. And you've got, uh, so four, how are you going to play that one? Um, most of one to ten I'm going to play on Vita. Okay, um, uh, I've got, so I've got, PS1 versions originally, some of them. Um, I think, it, well, PSP version. It's like an anniversary edition of four. Oh, okay, right. So it, right. it goes back to 2D. Um, yes, yeah. Yep. But I've got the DS version as well, so I'm probably going to be thorough and give that a look once I've done. Nice, excellent. <laughs> exciting times yeah i mean we we did our well we're still still doing it. we're not quite at the end of our zelda series there so i know that feeling of, at the start of a, a long series of epic rpgs the uh the sort of the excitement um but there there will be lulls <laughs> there will be points where you think what am i doing this for but uh but hopefully i mean the the all the variety with the final fantasy is you know in terms of systems but also settings and characters means that that should keep it fresh uh, as you go along have you got an ultimate deadline to to get to the last one and uh, no, i've just been told as as and when i i can so it was originally going right. to be like a, a quick fire project but work took over so they they were happy oh. with me just to do um you know as i can so i've i got three out last year i'm hoping to get more out this year excellent so ign.au is that uh well it's just ign.com it goes on the the main homepage oh. anyway so uh, fabulous th- th- the one for three just went up over christmas Oh, wicked. Okay. We'll look out for that. Now, uh, we have another request from the forum. This is from our friend Follow My Ruin, who says, uh, 
well, this is a, this is a bit of a, a, a bit of a diversion. It starts off with I've been playing through Metal Gear Solid Five once more in an effort to hit the one hundred percent, and I got thinking about the first stealth game I ever played. Turns out, from my old collection, and that dubious honour seems to belong to the Master System port of Bonanza Brothers. Memories of engineering chase sequences just to open doors in cylindrical people's faces came flooding back. I fired up the Master System for the first time in about 25 years to check it out, and it's pretty woeful. Perhaps a game best left alone. What was fascinating to me was that this cheeky soundtrack appears hilariously at odds with the genre. As the game progresses, the soundtrack appears to make no consideration for the fact that, essentially, it's a stealth game. It's cheeky. So yes, uh, this is the level one music credited to uh, Bluetts Lee, which I imagine is a pseudonym, as was normally the case with Sega games around this time. Uh, the original arcade version of Bonanza Brothers had a different sound, as you'd imagine. That was from 1990, but the ports, uh, Mega Drive, uh, and Mars System, and uh, various other, I think US Gold handled the home computer versions for Amiga, Commodore 64, and whatever else. Uh, this is from 1991. Uh, and yes, cheeky indeed. Enjoy. <laughs> sound of play we have music in this podcast from the 80s the 90s the 2000s the 2010s uh, and that was from the very early 90s from the old master system and bonanza brothers 
Another track from the early 90s has been brought to us by our guest Andy Corrigan. And this is uh, the suite that appears at the end of The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening uh, the ga- on the Game Boy, of course, and the Game Boy Color. The sound is identical. Uh, so what is it about this particular piece that, uh, that moved you to bring it to our attention? Um, well, I picked it mainly because uh, I've got really fond memories of this game as a kid. So if I wasn't in my room playing on my NES or, or SNES later, I was usually found staring at my Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Link's Awakening was one of like the main games I played. And it was one of the first I ever beat without any sort of assistance as a kid. Wow. Um, which was a, a pretty big first for someone who was as easily as frustrated as I was when I was young. Not even, not even the Nintendo helpline. Uh, no, no. <laughs> um, it took took me many months of, over the course of a year, um, yeah. and the this this song was just sort of the the icing on the cake because it was a bit of a medley of of all the themes in the the song. You've got the main Zelda theme, you've got the ballad of the the ballad of the windfish. Yes, um, it's just a, a bit of a treat, and it was really satisfying to see the credits rolling on that. Absolutely, yeah. So it took me over 20 years to finally get around to finishing this one. Um, I first bought it in 1996 and eventually finished it for the podcast last year. Uh, that was uh, Kane and Rince podcast issue 212, which came out in March 2016. We covered The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening and the DX version, of course. Uh, and yes, uh, a lot of people, um, a lot of the correspondence we got on that show was uh, very sort of emotionally engaged with the whole story and the whole sense of mystery and, and the atmosphere of being on this strange island and this ballad of the wind fish and this slightly curious metaphysical ending um yeah it's a game that really touched people and obviously yeah, just as a as a construction it was um nintendo at the top of their game we also in that podcast talk about the history of it and how um it was originally uh, intended to be a simple game boy port of a link to the past which is one of my favorite games of all time but in the end uh tezka takashi tezka and his team decided to kind of freewheel it almost in their spare time they ended up making this game kind of as as an originally initially as an off the radar project um and that's yeah so it came about it's got really interesting sort of backstory and uh yeah and i think most people remember this game fondly many people consider it their favorite zelda so yeah let's hear that staff role from link's awakening by minako hamano and kazue ishikawa
and I suppose it would only be fair to also credit Koji Kondo as well, because without him, that Legend of Zelda melody wouldn't be in there. And another thing, of course, we learned in our uh, Legend of Zelda podcasts on Kane and Rince is that the, the original Legend of Zelda theme was composed at the last minute in a very short space of time after uh, they discovered that they weren't allowed to use Ravel's Bolero as the main the main theme. So what a different history we would have had with the Zelda music if they'd started by using a piece of established classical. Mm. Something very different now from uh, the early 2000s. And this is requested by Nick Turner 13 from the forum, who says the entire of the SimCity 4 soundtrack is an absolute masterpiece with incredible variations around this kind of pensive background jazz. So many of the tracks could be put forward, but this track specifically sticks out to me. The use of the rolling toms to add to the melody appeals to me as an occasional drummer. Just beautiful. So this is By the Bay by uh, the prolific Sims and SimCity composer Jerry Martin. Enjoy.
very relaxing. That's, uh, I think that's our longest track in this particular uh, sound of play at six minutes. But yeah, very enjoyable. SimCity 4 is one of the, the SimCity games in the series that I didn't uh, I didn't play. Um, I know there's heated debate among SimCity fans as to which is the one that uh, that you should play now. Andy, have you ever uh, been a SimCity guy, SimCity 2000 perhaps, or the original? Um, I played the original on the SNES. Um, oh, okay, with, with Doctor Wright in it, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, it was a good version. Nintendo had a lot to do with that. I think they 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 put that together, didn't they? Maybe yeah. it was Intelligent Systems. Actually, I'm not sure. Uh, I can't remember. I actually dug out my SNES the other year, and and that was the one I put on and sat playing for a few hours. It was it's still pretty good. Yeah, it has its own uh, has its own um, excellent soundtrack as well. Of course, I can't remember who did the music for that one, but um, yeah, uh, I played the the last new SimCity, the 2013 game, which was a sort of reboot called SimCity and uh, came out with lots of issues and controversies about the always online status and th- and such like. I think they, they did in the end manage to um, kind of turn it around into something that people like. But my main issue was that the cities were so tiny. You could only make these little conurbations instead of massive sprawling cities. And that seemed to rather miss the point. But then they had also moved away from, I think, SimCity 4, perhaps, according to some people I know who played it, had almost gone too deep with some of the some of the sort of uh, some of the stuff that you had to do in terms of like, you know, mapping out sewers and stuff like this. Like it became whereas the original, it's like, you know, lay down a zone and it becomes a, a commercial zone, which is obviously very, you know, it's a late 80s game. It was designed for uh, much less powerful hardware and, and to be accessible. But I think with with the nature of these games, I think it's the same with the Football Manager series as well. It, it, um, in 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 its attempt to add realism and features, it, it kind of loses sight of how, um, you know, that it needs to still be fun <laughs> to be accessible for the for the casual player as well. So I think SimCity 2013 was an attempt to get back to that, as as has been the recent Football Manager sort of handheld type. Um, uh, games. Have you got any examples of games where you've like you've loved an early example in the series, and then you felt that it's kind of drifted away from what it was that actually you know held your attention in the first place? Um, first one that comes to mind is Assassin's Creed. Right. Um, okay. Getting towards uh, the end of the Ezio trilogy. Yeah, can't remember what it was called. The one after Brotherhood, um, where they Revelations. Start, that's it, Revelations, and they started adding tower defense elements and stuff. And I, I remember buying right. it and getting to the first t- tower defense bit and just going nah. And then I never went back. Right. To it. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that definitely happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Crowbarring in other genres is, um, doesn't always go down well. Yeah, which um, was but, weird because Brotherhood yeah. was was as close to perfect as you can get for me, but. Right, yeah, yeah, and 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 again, you can understand why developers do it. Firstly, because you know they're they're probably reading the criticisms and it's saying or oh, lack of variety or it's the same thing over and over again. So they 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 think right, you know, how can we mix things up a bit? And then and then people just say, yeah, but actually, the reason people were playing it was the was the free running and the stabbing people in the neck and <laughs> that kind of thing. So it seems like um, there was a bit of a after the initial uh, response to Assassin's Creed Unity, um, because it came out a, a bit of a buggy mess, that it seems like the actual, the finished version of that game is actually, is seems to be quite well regarded and pretty strong. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. The last one we did on, on the main Kane and Rince podcast was Assassin's Creed 3, so we've got a lot of catching up to do. Um, 
yeah, our next one would probably be Black Flag, but it's not lined up for this year. Um, so who knows in the future? Now, uh, the next track you've brought for us, Andy, is uh, something of a curio, something I wasn't aware of. So what's the story here? Uh, so it's from a game called Project Zomboid, which is uh, an early access game on Steam. Uh, it's been available for a couple of years, um, and it's pretty much a roguelike that I would describe as Sims meet zombie apocalypse. That sounds, that, that sounds intriguing. Yeah, so um, basically when you start a game, you you create a random character. It puts you in a random house in on on its map. Um, mm-hmm. And basically it tells you that this is the story of how you died. And then you have to survive for as long as possible. Okay. Um, now, I never last very long because I, I get cocky and then run into a horde somewhere and end up getting yep. in, too injured to repair myself. Um, in my current game, I've got a system where I've got a two-story house that I've boarded up the bottom story of, and ah. I get, get in and out through a rope, and I'm just slowly working my around the neighborhood, looting houses. Um, and I think the power's about to go out. It's been a couple of weeks since I played it, but... Um, <laughs> oh, it sounds quite cool. Um, is it, has it got atmosphere? Is it how's how's it viewed? Is it is it graphically simplistic or is it? Yeah, I, when I say uh, it's a bit like Sims, I mean Sims One, especially oh, graphic, wow, okay. graphics wise. Yeah, right, right. It, but it works. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, it's it's quite deep in terms of like how you have to repair mm. your injuries or or board up your house. Um, I haven't got this far, but you can start building walls and, and things like that. And there's meant to be NPC uh, survivors too. I haven't found any. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, do you think this is, is is this headed for a, a an official full release at some point in the not too distant future? Yeah, I think they've said they're going to release it once they're happy with the feature set. So they're always adding adding new bits yeah. to it. Um, That's the danger with early access. It's never finished. <laughs> And yeah, so this piece, uh, what was lost? Uh, when does this play? Is this is this uh, is this responsible for conjuring up the atmosphere for you? Um, well, as far as I can tell, I think it just it's played on random throughout. There's a, there's a heap of tracks that are this okay. sort of um, beautiful but bleak, I'd call it. Um, yeah. and it just sort of captures the the atmosphere brilliantly. Okay, and this is by Zach Beaver from Project Zomboid. That's what was lost. You can check it out on early access on Steam. 
Uh, I don't know what they're charging for it, but uh, it's never usually that much. Or is it? Uh, do they charge on early access? I'm sure they do, don't they? Yeah, I they need the money. It. Yeah, they need the money coming in. Of course they do. Yeah, um, but that sounds interesting. I shall check it out. Our penultimate track is from the 80s. I promised you an 80s track, and this is requested by Code Monkey from the forum. Uh, this was uh, in a post where Code Monkey was celebrating the work of Tim Follin, who he had been hitherto unaware of. Uh, until listening to the podcast, uh, Code Monkey says, a work of genius. What fun sounds Follin managed to squeeze out of the specky. Uh, but the one I, the, the reason I particularly picked this one out for this show is because not only is it a Tim Follin track, one of our favourite 8-bit composers, it's actually a cover version of a track by Rob Hubbard, one of our other favourite 8-bit composers. Uh, so the original version was for the Commodore 64, composed by Hubbard, and this is the Spectrum version uh, from the game Star Pause, which is a, a 1987 John Darnell game for software projects. And yeah, once again... You can definitely hear the Rob Hubbard here. Um, you can hear his boom chucka boom, famous uh, sort of driving bass line and percussion. And then this is Tim Follin kind of playing over the top with it in his uh, making sounds with the spectrum that shouldn't be legal kind of way. So, yeah, enjoy. Title of Star Pause. <laughs> stuff from Follin and Hubbard there, the dream team of 8-bit composers. Uh, do remember, as I always say, please venture over to the forum at canarince.com slash forum, or you can uh, at us on Twitter at canarince, use the hashtag sound of play if you will, uh, or even our Facebook page, facebook.com slash canarince, and request your favourites or curios. And we'll continue to include a selection of those in each regular Sound of Play podcast. Uh, please subscribe to this show and leave us an iTunes review or rating. 
that would be really handy. Uh, Sound of Play as it stands, looking at the um, UK iTunes video game podcast chart, Sound of Play kind of exists in and around the bottom uh, of the the top 200, whereas Kane and Rince is all the way up the other end in the top quarter of the top uh, 200. But that's partly because Sound of Play doesn't have ne- has far fewer reviews and ratings. So if you give us more reviews and ratings, we can get Sound of Play moving up the charts, which would be really good for our visibility. So that's much appreciated. Uh, as are donations to our Patreon patreon.com slash cane and rinse uh, you can donate a dollar a month or whatever you think if you think that uh, the podcast we put out which is um, one a week of sound of play and one a week of uh, cane and rinse for most of the year if you think each of those is even worth just a few pence or cents or whatever your local currency is uh, please donate a dollar and it all goes back into making the show we just spent uh, the best part of a thousand pounds on audio editing software to make the show sound better and more consistent across the different editors and we are incredibly grateful for those donations but uh, we're going to need more in the future so before we hear about your last track andy uh, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for uh, offering yourself up to uh, to join me. Not a problem. I'm uh, happy to do it. And uh, have you got anything apart from, we've obviously already spoken about your work on IGN, so definitely um, look out for that. Um, but have you got anything else that you, uh, that you produce that you'd like to point people in the direction of? Well, most, most of my work or anything that people would be familiar with me for would be uh, thisismyjoystick.com. Yeah, and um, we actually closed that earlier last year. <laughs> um, it's a shame. Yeah, so um, I'm taking a bit of a break, really, which is another reason why my freelance outputs slowed a little. Um, okay. So mainly just the IGN stuff. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Flame Roast Toast. Flame Roast Toast. Uh, so this is my joystick. What was the uh, what was the sort of the um, the theme there? Was it did it have a particular um, sort of uh, um, particular type of output? Um, it was mainly opinion content, um, which, you know, sounds silly because most, most content now is opinion content. But uh, <laughs> at, at the time, we, we thought we were doing something original when we probably weren't. Um, oh. <laughs> but it was, uh, you know, it was a good laugh. lasted uh, seven years. Wow. Um, yeah. Cult status, I'd say. But um, yeah, yeah. It, it was a good, it was good. Um, and it was, it was what got me freelance work, so it was it was yeah. worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I mean, well, always credit to for, to anyone who keeps uh, sort of things like that going for such a long period of time. Because um, I was thinking yesterday, and this, I, I didn't tweet it because it sounded self congratulatory. So, but I'll just say it here instead. But I was thinking, like, we've been going, we're we're heading into our sixth year of Cana um, Rinse podcasts, and I, I'd say the majority of podcasts that people start up probably don't even last six episodes like the amount of shows that people start with good intentions and then you know as soon as as soon as people realize you know how much work there is involved in and as this goes for writing as well like it is hugely it takes a lot of effort and, and a lot of time and um yeah so to have done something like that for seven years is uh is impressive um and it's still all out there presumably yeah, it's still up. So if anyone wants to have a, a gander, they still can. Most of my work's on there. So, um, and you know, uh, our other contributors, they they deserve recognition too. Um, Absolutely, fabulous. Yeah. Now to close the show, uh, you have brought uh, one of the most uh, sort of 
well, again, it's that word, epic and bombastic and uh, striking pieces of music from one of my favourite uh, composers, uh, the brilliant Yoko Shimomura, who we featured on this show many times and will many times again in the future. She wrote the soundtracks for uh, Street for most of Street Fighter Two and lots of classic Capcom arcade games and um, Kingdom Hearts. And uh, you've brought us a piece from the brand new, really Final Fantasy Fifteen. So, um, have you? So we know we heard we listened earlier. We we heard that you're tackling the Final Fantasies in sequential order, which is a mighty undertaking. Um, but I, I assume this means that you've at least had a, a play of Final Fantasy XV ahead of time. Um, this was the one game that I was prepared to drop everything for. So right. I had right. been rabidly excited about this for two years. Okay. So. I'm really interested how, because it seems to have had a mainly positive but somewhat mixed reception. Is that fair? Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, uh, for me, I would say 120 hours says that I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, it felt like ten. Um, wow. Okay. So, uh, so what is it? What is it about Final Fantasy Fifteen that um, that you like? What do you think it brought to the to the party? Um, well, I think it surprised everyone. Um, I got the sense before it released there was a bit of a can't wait for this to be awful sort of attitude towards it. I think in some media. quarters that's probably true. I think that's always true, really, among certain quarters. Very um, unhappy unhappy people. And I, I, <laughs> I played the uh, the episode Duske demo that you got with um, the re-release of the PSB game. I forget what it's called now. Yeah, I know uh, the one. I can't remember what it's called either. Too Many Final Fantasies. Type zero. That's what it's called. Type zero. That's the fella. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I played that, loved it, could tell it was going to be something special. So I'd been excited ever since that, to be honest. Um, and it's sort of, I don't know, it's it surprised everyone with the open world, I think. Mm. Um, it's not something Final Fantasy tends to do. I know you get the overworld, but the, the story still tends to be quite linear. Yeah. Um, the combat is is just so much fun i just kept doing it long after i had any reason to stop doing it um so it sort of mixes the live action well with jrpg strategy uh like you know the weaknesses and strengths and stuff and yeah it's 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 really cool okay and so you play 120 hours was the the whole game you've done it you've seen it yep um i'm I'm gonna go back and max out my character stats because they're at level 87 at the moment so it seems a bit rude to leave it um and there's some hidden dungeons i haven't done but yeah, I've seen most of what it's got to offer. Including all that amazing looking food. Yes, that's one of my favourite bits. It's uh, like I watched, like I haven't played the game um, because I'm so many Final Fantasies behind, but uh, I watched a video compilation of just the food being served up. <laughs> <laughs> it looks super realistic. It's, yeah, it's so gorgeous. Yeah, Especially um, the stuff that's made with fictional animals. Mmm, delicious fictional <laughs> animals. Well, as a vegetarian, they're my favourite kind to eat. So, ah, yeah, of course. Uh, I can fantasise about eating, uh, you know, slaying slaying animals in Monster Hunter and eating fictional animals in Final Fantasy uh, because pixels don't feel pain. Um, or do they? That's t- that's a conversation for another time. So, um, anyway, is this, uh, is this where, where's this piece from in the game? Is it like an end theme or a boss battle theme? Um, so it appears there's there's variations of it that appear a couple of times throughout. Most no, most notably, it's through a couple of the boss fights, um, and right. then it's it's in the uh, end credits after like an after like a mid credit scene sort of thing. Yeah. Um, okay. And it, like you said before, it's really bombastic, big orchestral number, 
Um, and I, I don't know about anyone else, but it seems to remind me a lot of the Elder Scrolls soundtrack. Hmm. Yeah, I, I did get a bit of that. Yeah, definitely that 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 choral stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, it's it's um, really powerful, and it's, mm. for me, it's the best track in a in a really good soundtrack overall. I think. Is the soundtrack all by uh, Shimamura, or is is it? I think there's a couple of composers, and I also think Uematsu is on a couple of those tracks as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a real treat. Anyway, I, I saw I saw at least one comment from somebody um, who was being quite disparaging about the the OST, but from the bits I've heard, um, sounds sounds pretty much uh, up to snuff to me. But uh, what do I know? Well, uh, before we hear it, Andy, thanks for coming on again. Not a problem. And uh, nice to finally put a put a voice to the uh, to the to the Twitter avatar. Yeah, we spoke a few times on Twitter. I think so. Yeah, you see, you know, you you could almost you could almost be intimidating based on your Twitter avatar. You, you know, you could be a scary man, but it turns out you're quite you're quite gentle and softly spoken. Uh, Mr. Carl Moon thinks I look like Joshua Garrity. You do look a bit like Josh. Yeah, you look like a slightly a slightly more yeah a slightly more a slightly less benign Josh. You know, like he, he's got like he's got a very naturally kind of placid face. Whereas whereas your Twitter avatar, I did think, or oh, maybe 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 Andy's going to be trouble. You know, he could be he could be a fiery character. But it turns out I needn't have had any of these worries. <laughs> All right. My back's on my boat. Oh, okay. All right, cheers, Andy, and uh, we'll play our listeners out with uh, Apocalypsis Noctis by the always wonderful Yoko Shimomura. <laughs> 